How you doing, everybody? This is What Can You Tell Me, the podcast. Today, we talk to Jerry Hoff, a sea captain who looks especially good with a bird on his shoulder. I got pictures to prove it on the website. Captain Jerry shares a tale of his encounter with killer bees in Trinidad, his ideas of what makes a great leader, and he gives us some insight into one of his hobbies, aerial drone photography. Okay, super excited today. I have a, swear to God, legitimate sea captain in my living room right now. Please welcome to the microphone, Captain Jerry Hoff. Uh, good evening. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm Fantastic. Doing well. So you're a captain? Uh, I am sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> what else are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we better keep that a secret. Fair but, enough. Uh, we'll, we'll find uh, that oh, out oh, later. Oh, always a gentleman. Oh, uh, I like to hear so, that. Sometimes a sea so captain. So nice. Yeah. Tell me about early life. What uh, What got you to be the man who you are today? Okay. I'll, I'll do it chronologically. I was an Air Force brat. My dad was a strategic air command pilot on B-52s, so we grew up all over the place. I happen to be born, and if you're a Johnny Cash fan, in Folsom, California. Nice. Not in the prison in the hospital. I don't hope worry. not. Uh, when I was very, very young, I joined the Marine Corps a month after my 17th birthday, and I was fortunate enough to go to sea uh, right away as a Marine detachment on board a carrier. That was my introduction to the sea. I was still 17. Okay. Um, probably the most formative thing in my life, besides marriage and children, uh, was doing my time in the Marine Corps. It okay. Was, and what years was this? Uh, 80 to 83. Okay. I was stationed two years on the USS Ranger, CV-61, as the Marine Detachment. We did a special job on the, on the, on the aircraft carrier itself. Uh, and then when I got out, I went back to an infantry unit, 1st Battalion, 9th Marines. Hoorah. Hoorah, the walking dead. And uh, uh, it was, uh, I got out of the Marine Corps because I married a girl, a Chicago girl at 18, and she lived here in the neighborhood. And this is what brought me back back here. But that time... Of learning to cope and survive and the Marine Corps was really f- a formative thing for me because I was a bit undestinated or undirected. And, okay. Uh, Wild and, youth and, and, or just, uh, no, just no, wasn't no, sure not, what you were doing? Yeah, exactly. You know, okay. Sort of like that. And so that gave me some direction. And, you know, when I got out, of course, I went to school and I did other jobs besides working at sea and worked in factories. I worked as a programmer and a systems administrator and then uh, went Went back offshore when the money got really, really good. Too, too good to ignore. So, and what? So you got from Marines? Were you learning how to be a, a sea captain when you were in the Marines? Because that's kind of a Navy thing, right? It's kind of a Navy thing. Um, but uh, even though I was stationed aboard the ship, we lived aboard the ship as ship's company. Uh, we didn't have, except for being seagoing, we didn't have a nautical job. There's, sure. there's, there was a job just like it on the beach, but we had to do it aboard the ship. If that makes sense. You know? No, absolutely. Um, and so I didn't, I kind of fell into it later accidentally. And I, I, at the time I'd started a business in Chicago doing marine safety products, rafts and things like that. Oh, I was nice. a long time sailboat racer in Chicago. Okay. And one day out of the blue, I said, well, I'm going to go study for and earn myself a very low level captain's license. You know, as a matter of fact, it was like a 25 ton license. And I earned all that time racing sailboats in Chicago. Um, and then I had a hundred ton and then just on a fluke, I went out to visit my dad in Seattle, and his company shared a picnic area with a, a big uh, offshore company called Crowley, and they would share picnic tables. And he knew a lot of the people. He worked for Todd Shipyards. Okay. Crowley like Grant Crowley? Or? Uh, no, no, okay. not Grant Crowley. Un- right? Unrelated. Crowley Maritime. They do gotcha. tugs and barges and ITBs and all gotcha. kinds of stuff. And I was just out visiting him, and then we were driving home. We got home. Somebody from Crowley called and said, they knew I had credentials. They're like, would your son like to go to Alaska for 45 days? I'm like, 
Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> so I went up on a tug and barge, hauling fuel up, you know, through the Aleutians all the way up to, you know, way, way up north in Alaska. And that sort of started my commercial, you know, maritime, the link for me. And then as a fluke, too, I, I, we were on a boat down in Fort Crowley, down in um, the West Bank in New Orleans, um, getting a boat repaired for Crowley. And, and that was the hub of the oil field. And all these oil field ships had come in, and boy, they just looked like hot rods. Boy, they were beautiful, 200, 300, you know, 300 foot, 350 foot, and they were just built state-of-the-art. They looked so cool, you know. And, of course, the oil fields was jumping back, and it was real part of a boom. So I got on the phone, you know, and with three phone calls, you know, three offers, and luckily worked for, uh, went to work for a company, which is still the, one of the largest in the world called Schwest or Edison Schwest Offshore, uh, which is based in Galeana, Louisiana. And uh, they kind of took me in. The, the, the business was booming so much, they would fast track people and they would do all their training and they would send you to all their school and fast track you up to higher level licenses. So I'm very grateful to them for that. And that's, that's how I started working my way through the big boats. You know? And you were, so as you were getting your captain's license, kind of up to the, the point of you working commercially, you were just sailing for fun. And I was, was sailing really for fun and I was working, I was actually selling machinery was what the last jobs I had is worked for a European company as a North American sales manager selling uh, transfer lines. You know, if you wanted to make 450,000 Ford Explorer engine blocks every six months, we sold you a building full of machinery that did all that automated. You know? Gotcha. So. Uh, and then uh, for, I guess, the the layman's uh, understanding, like a 25, you said a 25-ton vessel? No, 200. How, what, what was the size that, that you were using? That was a small one, you know, these sailboats. I mean, small means what? Like, uh, Well, so, yeah, you know, I originally earned my first license to, you know, running sailboats that were, you know, probably – 27 to 45 feet long and now but we're talking about vessels that are unlimited tonnage and 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 varying lengths you okay. know from 300 you know from a football field long uh, to sometimes bigger sometimes smaller and slightly smaller tonnage so and that is like what in, in tonnage what like what's the not to be like what's the biggest ship that you've steered before we do say steering right you yes. don't drive a ship, you no, steer it. you drive a ship. You oh, you drive you a, helm ship? a ship. You still steer a ship. Okay, fair enough. So fair I enough. work on a limited tonnage vessel right now, and it says dry weight tonnage, I think it's about 9,000 tons, yeah, which is okay. small when you look at something like an aircraft carrier, which is 105,000 tons. And, okay. Um, but they're suitable for the, for the job uh, that, they, that they work in. They're suitable sizes and suitable tonnage for the tasks that they're designed to sure. do. Sure. So. And what? Uh, so, what would be the task that you're currently uh, you got you're currently doing? Like, what's what 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 does Captain Jerry do at work every day? We currently um, we're working primarily coastal along the east coast, occasionally in the Gulf of Mexico. But our primary job is called beach renourishment. And as you know, even from in Chicago, beaches uh, get hit hard by natural erosion or a serious cycle of weather events, hurricanes. Uh, um, things like that. And uh, particularly in the East Coast, New Jersey, New York, Long Island, they got really hard hit by Superstorm Sandy. And so all those beaches got washed away and there's a lot of homes there. And so basically what we do is we suck sand off the seafloor okay. in a specific area. Um, the Army Corps engineer runs all the jobs in these areas, what we call a borrow area, which is where they want us to take the sand from. Uh, we Put these big giant arms down, you know, 70, 80, 90 feet down into the seafloor 
and sucked the sand off the bottom like a big old vacuum cleaner. And it, so just a giant shop vac on a ship that goes... Except for this shop vac has two 5,000 horsepower uh, locomotive engines running awesome. each pump. That, I love it. <laughs> that have about a... Each the impellers of each of these things are probably... The housings are about probably 12 or 13 feet high. You, we could each... We could both climb inside of yeah. it. When the, the you imp- could stand on my shoulders like we were in the circus. Exactly, exactly. So then what we'll do is we'll, we'll load up essentially a hopper or the, the, the dump truck part of the ship. Okay, and Hopefully. how much of the ship is that? It's I mean, roughly, what are we talking? 60 per, 50 to 60% of okay. the ship of the space is right. uh, allocated for that. And then we'll drive to a connection, a pipeline that's built about a half mile offshore, some between a half and a mile offshore, and one end of it, uh, will float, but we have to pick it up. We th- actually throw a hook at it, just like Deadliest Catch. We got a floating piece of poly line, and All we right. throw a hook and grab it, and then get a bigger piece of line, and then put it on a windlass and winch this huge connection up, which is probably thirty-six inches uh, in diameter on the inside. Yeah, it connects in, and then what? What we'll uh, so we'll connect the hose to the to the ship. Yeah. And then we'll take all that sand we have in this hopper and we'll mix it with water. Okay. So it flows. So it flows. And, yeah. and we'll pump it that half mile to a mile all the way to the beach. And bulldozers are just waiting there just to spread it all out. And it's very closely surveyed when, you know, they don't just pile it so it looks nice. It's got yeah. to be very closely surveyed and measured as to how much we're putting on the beach. And that's how you get a new beach. And how long does, like, how long does it take to vacuum the seafloor and fill up your hopper? Without making it too complex, it varies from location to location based upon the the nature of the sand you know, okay. and the, the way the geology is in every area. Some sands are a lot denser and heavier. Some sands you encounter rocks and shells, uh, sometimes munitions off the East Coast. Live um, ammunition still, or live munitions, I should say. That's right. That's, that's terrifying. Correct. I yeah, mean, they like literally get stuck in the vacuum. Or, they do. Jesus, they do. whose job is it to deal with that? Army Corps engineer. Oh, my God. Out. No, thanks. So, so anyway, generally, you know, we probably averaged on this last job. It was very easy uh, sand to get on a boat and, and pump ashore, and it would be about 45 minutes to load about 3,000 cubic yards. That's okay. a lot of sand. Yeah. And then uh, 35 to 45 minutes to pump that onto the beach okay and so uh three thousand cubic yards for the visual reference is like roughly how like how you know like length width height of your hopper like what are we talking boy i'd never measure but i'd say the hopper is probably a hundred feet long okay. and it's probably sand is in there at least 30 feet deep just a guess and then how wide roughly oh uh 25 30 feet wide so 25 30 by 100 by right that's crazy. Right, right. Uh, Imagine like a whole bunch of uh, uh, semi trucks, uh, you know, full of sand. You yeah, know, probably twenty five of those full of sand. You know? uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, anything? Uh, anything interesting ever come out of said uh, uh, vacuum? Or what's like the weirdest crap that's ever gone in there? You know, you get you get sea creatures that get sucked up and then usually get mangled, but sometimes they'll make it through. Okay. Um, we do run bomb grates when we're munitions prone areas. So the, so but the so they don't go through the uh, the actual pump, they'll get stuck in the grates themselves, which has small <laughs> Again, openings. Again, a job I'd never want to so, have. So we had a 105-millimeter artillery shell stuck in there probably about three months ago oh my working God. off the East Coast. And uh, and how, I mean, did they? could they guesstimate how old it was? I mean, was this newer, older? I mean, World War What? No, they, it's, 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 they always attribute it to World War II, okay. either training or... 
um, from, of course, you know, the German Navy was laying off the East Coast ports and attacking ships. Um, so, but a lot of training. Okay. Uh, is where most of it is. If 50 caliber uh, shells or in, and expended cartridges, you'll suck up quite a bit. Do so. you get to keep any? Or do they keep it all? No, no, I mean, like the empty shells, they, you know, like there's no casing you get to take. <laughs> They don't want you keeping anything. Boo. Come on, Army. You could make like an awesome, I feel like an awesome wine goblet out of that. And I think nowadays it'd be tough to travel with. But we do keep, sometimes we'll get some beautiful shells that'll come up through, mm-hmm. and we'll keep those. Um, occasionally a piece of whale vertebrae. Oh, interesting. Um, we've had come up, piece of whale bone, a nice big piece that's intact, and yeah. people will keep them as souvenirs. So. That's cool. I hope we're not breaking any international laws. Nope. I don't know. No, okay, perfect. Not, yeah. <laughs> not you. The the other guy. It would never be you. No. Nope. But wait, technically as captain, isn't everything that happens on that ship your your problem? There is a responsibility. Okay. Uh, um, so you just naturally try to work within the framework that's uh, you know a lawful framework sure. at all times you know it makes yeah. it safer as well too so there's really nothing we can do to break the law unless um, we dig sand in the wrong spot or yeah. we pick it up and carry it from the Hamptons into New York Harbor. And you're like, oops, sorry, my yeah. bad. Um, spill a bunch of fuel in the water is probably the worst thing you could do. Yeah. So you always want to be very protective of the environment. Those are the most important guidelines we work within is just be careful with the environment. So what size would your crew be then? I mean, when you're on said ship, what, what would it be? A 14 to 16. Okay. Yeah. And you guys spend how long on the, on the ship at that? Generally, we spend three weeks. We live aboard the ship the whole time. Okay. And then we're at home for three weeks. So one of the nice things about uh, you know, this job with this company is that I only work six months of the year. Okay. But you're absolutely gone. It's not like you're coming home for the afternoon for lunch. Nope. You live aboard. So right. And you know, we've got everything we need. You know, We've got full-time chefs. Um, we've got satellite TV and internet. All the officers have satellite TV and internet in their staterooms. And, and how big? How big is one stateroom? I mean, I worked on a cruise ship twenty years ago, and I was super lucky to have a room that was maybe eight feet by ten feet. That was like luxury living, relatively speaking. That's about the same. Okay, you know, captains have a little more space because they'll have some administrative space to work at sure. as well. Um, but it's still, regardless, it's austere. You know, and uh, but the important thing is, is that it's clean, and so we we do our best to keep it clean. Do you at least get a porthole? Do you get to see outside from your room? Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I had an inner cabin where uh, I just well, literally had metal walls, so I didn't even get to stare out at sea. One of my buddies did, and it was like the greatest thing I had ever experienced. Well, you can get the sunshine in too, yeah. which is that's how I know prefer to wake up is the sunshine coming yeah. in the porthole. So. That's awesome. Yeah. And so how long have you been working for this company or doing this sort of, uh, uh, you know, specific? I've only worked at this company doing this this application or this type of job for uh, a couple of years, almost three years. Okay. So, but I did a much longer term um, before this. I always worked in the oil field industry, which was completely different type of vessels, much higher tech, you know, dynamic positioning vessels that, you know, we could park the thing in a three meter circle for a month and a half if we needed to, you know. And it just has all the, it, it, it knows how to do it. It knows how to do it, you know, use all the measurement systems that are available, you know, GPS, lasers bouncing off rigs, and you could hook up a fuel hose to them and sit there and stay and there for weeks. And they just barely waver back and forth. and Goes back and forth a couple of feet. That's it, three meters. So, you know, that's you're talking nine feet and mostly less than that, so. That's crazy. Yeah. Tech, technology, not exactly the old days of, uh, of whaling ships. It was nice, you know, even though you had to manage the systems and manage the machinery, the, um, the computers that we used to do it really did make many parts of our, our, our job easier. You yeah. know, whereas this, what I do now, 
Um, when you go get on the hose, there's no positioning system. You have to drive the boat manually. Yeah. The small ship manually the whole time you're connected. And, uh, and so us. people have an understanding. I mean, it's not like old school where we all think, I mean, literally we all think of like Moby Dick where it's a giant wooden wheel with some spokes sticking off of it. <laughs> like, is this similar to my cruise ship I was on where I, and to be clear, I was an entertainer on a cruise ship. I had zero function in the running of a boat or a ship. But uh, is it more like the joystick style and computers joystick. and buttons? It's a joystick to swing your rudders back and forth. And then uh, it's it's. CP driven, which is controllable pitch. And so the engines will run at a constant RPM. The props will turn on a constant RPM and we just vary the pitch with a couple of levers, you know, at them, you pull them all the way back and the, the boat wants to go backwards. You pull them all the way forward. But what's unique is we have to split them a lot. We'll have one forward, one back to induce twist into the vessel to to keep it in a certain position. Gotcha. So, so like if you always want to be pointed north, for example, it's it's gonna you you personally have to do that as opposed to your Right. Yeah, you can't you can't just Punch, set it and forget it. Set it and forget Autopilot. it. Just spin oh, a knob. You've man. Got to, you've got but the old boats was that way. You just basically, you set your heading and you set your position where you wanted it, set up your reference systems and the, and the boat stayed there 99.9% of the time unless you had some anomaly or some, you know, either a machinery anomaly or a weather anomaly. Okay. You know, the, the and the boats were designed to, to actually deal with a lot of that. Sure. You know. What's the crazy, I mean, are you guys stuck out there when it's bad weather or do they kind of say no this is unnecessary and useless let's get you in i have sailed through a, a several hurricanes and uh terrifying and, what's the you know what it is is that it's uh i was always uh, comfortable in the seaworthiness of the vessel so i wasn't terrified um but other people were yeah you know and so you just probably like an airline pilot is the same way as you have to make sure you have this air of confidence uh, about you because that people will feed off of that and if you if you look afraid or you're not confident in your vessel yeah. people are going to feed off of that too and it's gonna, it's going to worry them um so what it mostly is is just uncomfortable for one i don't care how big a ship you're on when the wind is blowing over 60 knots it's very loud yeah and you can hear it anywhere and of course the seas are very very bad so it's hard for people to sleep as soon as you get to sleep, you're getting rolled around. You know, your body's not used to having that kind of motion. Um, but there's ways to adapt to it, or sometimes you just spend days just dealing with it. You know, it's nice when, you know, customers that you work for say, all right, get the last load, go in. Yeah, come on. Go in. to Safe Harbor. And one of the nice things about working off of Long Island in the Hamptons and in northern New Jersey was that we're close to New York Harbor and Sandy Hook. So when we knew the weather was going to be bad for an extended period of time and we couldn't do the job we were there for, we would be able to go in an anchor in a sheltered harbor, which is really nice. Or if we needed maintenance or repairs, you know, it was close. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what was, what was, what's been your most fun job of all of them? Like anything, even if it was like one time or anything, just any particular. Um, I'd have to say it was a period of time. Um, uh, more than one time. And one, I remember when I was still a deckhand and I worked down in the Gulf of Mexico on a big anchor handler. And uh, I have two, good friends that are still my friends to this day and we always worked the same watch together doing the same job as able-bodied seamen you know just uh, in a listen rank and we just had a great time and we had tons of laughs and then when i moved up the ladder and i ran my own ships um my most memorable period of time was having spent working in trinidad from 2011 to roughly 2016 
and I had almost an all-trinity crew. It was an all-trinity crew for all the ratings, and by the ratings, we mean all the uh, uh, non-officer ranks. Gotcha. And were you living in Trinidad or living out of Trinidad, or were you still coming back and forth? Coming back and forth. So I would stay on the ship for two months at a time and come home for a month. So, But I had um, uh, uh, Trinity mates um, who came on, you know, local mates, and they turned out to be the – just the best guys, and they taught me more about leadership and 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 being kind to people and showing restraint, but truly leadership. You know, they really, they tell me I was a good captain for them, but I always tell them, you guys did more for me than I ever did for you because they really, really taught me how to, or maybe it just sunk in at that time, how to deal with people and have good leadership and build a, a, a you know, have a happy crew, but still they understood that you had a responsibility and they were responsive and respectful of the hierarchy and they, but they did their jobs. And basically, we had such a tight family on this ship. Nobody had to be a tyrant. I abhor somebody that's a tyrant on a ship. Um, that life was easy. I mean, we just lived good. We enjoyed each other's company. We were all adults. We came on. We got the job done because we wanted to go home to our loved ones. Yep. You know, and, and it was, uh, I miss those guys terribly. Boy, and I miss the food down there too. Let me I'm tell sure. You. And the music. Yeah. You know. So uh, since we're talking about Trinidad, I thought of you, especially when I, I saw the picture in your podcast uh, page of you attending your beehive oh, with, sure, no, with yeah. no shorts or, or anything on. And, no and, shoes, though, and, I think, that no day shoes. even, yeah. And you can appreciate this. But anyway, sort of a little background is in, in, in Central and South America, the preferred bee is the African ice honey bee, which we unfortunately refer to as the killer bee. The killer bee. The killer bee. Yeah. Um, and they can be more aggressive, but uh, they're not... Yeah, not radically. What so. was it? The eighties where there was this like, they're going to take over America. I was terrified <laughs> as a youngster, uh, you know, in third grade that that, that the bees were going to come. But so anyway, that's the predominant bee, uh, and for all the reasons that's uh, you know they're preferred by honey producers. So we'd come in on our ship and we'd anchor in the harbor in Trinidad, and you'd get a traveling queen that would just light on a piece of cargo on your deck, and all of a sudden she's surrounded by you know two hundred thousand of her of her closest Close mates, friends, yeah. Right? So they can't unload the piece of cargo because you don't want to disturb them. So eventually what they do is they send a local beehive a bee, yeah. fella. I don't know what you, what the a, proper name is. Uh, what is it? Well, a, you're, apiast or well, something? Yeah, you, I, I guess it would be an apiast. Yeah. I should and, know that, right? And he comes out. He's wearing flip-flops and shorts, no gloves, nothing. Love it. And he, walk, he just walks slowly up to this, this mass of, of killer bees. Yeah. He's with a little portable beehive. He takes out a piece of honeycomb yep. and then a paintbrush out of the other and pocket, just, and he slowly just brushes her out of the yep. honeycomb, sets her back in the, this little portable beehive on the ground, and about five minutes, all that half a gazillion bees have all walked off the piece of cargo yep. into the beehive, and he's off, and he's none the happier. He's yeah. got free bees. Well, not only does he have free bees, but your company may have had to pay him to do that, and then he's got bees or hives that he can now sell. It, right. it is an awesome... If you're that guy, it's a win-win. I'm still not that confident in my beekeeping, but mm-hmm. uh, but I think eventually... Well, keep the docile bees. Uh, I, I do. So I'll have to come over and fly the drone when you're doing it. You know, They might be freaked out yeah. too. No, it is interesting though. When you are in a beehive, you can stand right in front of that thing. What people don't realize is bees aren't trying to sting you. Right. They sting you when it's their last hope. This is the only thing they can do to protect their colony and they don't care about themselves. It kind of is like a kamikaze pilot. Well, uh, one could argue they probably didn't have the exact same choice. But right, in right. beehives, it really is just they're doing what's best for the hive, plain and simple. Right. And so they'll bump into you and they'll just try and fly around you. But they will legitimately just 
fly past you. Uh, you can stand right in that entrance and you'll watch them zigzag around you so that they can just land, drop off their cargo, and they just take right off again because they've got a job to do. It's those wasps and hornets that give all those little flying little critters. Jerks. Uh, useless. Yep. I'm sure they do something. I just haven't figured it out. I don't yet. think they pollinate. I think they just no. make people mad, especially right. at the end of summer. Yeah. Know? So Yeah. Interesting. You know, that, that was my favorite time. I, I I wish every day I would get a phone call and I could go back and I could back handpick to Trinidad, those. Man. And I could handpick those guys because really I didn't have to do anything captainy. I just yep. did paperwork because my guys handled were so good at handling every aspect of it. Yeah. And I let them do it. I wanted them to be um the best at the job. I wanted yep. them to become the best boat drivers and they did. They were really better boat handlers than me. You know, in in a short in short order. So, but it was very satisfying to see how they grew. You know, and people grow up differently down there. It's not easy. You know, the way they live in their villages, and you work with a guy in a small village. Um, you know, where we see, it's easy to give people orders, and, uh, and it's easier for us, for some people not in that environment, to say, "I need you to do this," and "I need you to do that." And it was very difficult for them. One of the things that I had to help bring them along with is. They need to understand you have responsibility. So you can ask in the way you want to ask, but they need to understand that that I'm going to hold you responsible if it doesn't get done. Yeah. And to watch them grow and to do that and to earn people's respect uh, on, uh, on the boat and to develop as leaders was the most satisfying thing I ever did. That's probably why it was such an important time for me. Yeah, I think it's so important, especially if you have a good boss or you are a good boss is how you communicate with your team. And it's something where you allow them to do their job and they allow you to do your job right. and everyone is supporting everyone and it makes it yeah. so much better. Right. I cannot say anything but the highest of praise for the sergeant I work for right now right. on the police department. I, just absolutely incredible. And he really just, he's there for us. We never are worried that he's going to throw us under the bus. Right. So, it's, and I worked for, when I was coming up, even before Trinidad, you know, I had some really, really key formative people that are still good friends of mine that were mentors and took me under their wing yeah. who exhibited that same type of leadership skill, the same thing. They were never tyrants, you know. Um, they earned your respect. And even if you didn't respect them, you respected the rank. And But they proved to you they were competent and they were fair. Yep. And probably the operative phrase is being, you know, a, an officer on a ship is always show restraint. Yep. It's so key, and I'm, I'm, yep. I'm sure you understand. Always show restraint. Yeah. Uh, if you have some issue uh, with somebody, I would always give it 24 hours to think about it to make sure all the emotion dripped out of the side of it. I always made sure it was, I learned to make sure it was always principle, not personality. Yeah. So. Well, and that's, you know, same with the job I'm doing right now. It's not, it's not personal. You know, just because you're getting arrested doesn't mean I think any less of you as right. a human being. Somebody right. said you did something wrong. I have to do something about it. That is my job. Right. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, I can still be as polite and kind and courteous to you as necessary. Mm -hmm. And I will be forceful if it's absolutely necessary. And thankfully, it really hasn't been much. But when it is, it's, it is necessary. So, mm -hmm. and it keeps everyone safer, as weird as that right. sounds. Right. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. Agree. Showing restraint. Yep. All right. And uh, so, okay. So, so you're a captain. That's going on how many years now? Oh, 25 years. All right. Yeah, so before yeah. you were a captain, I mean, when you were a kid, what did you, what did, what did little Jerry want to be when he grew up? I want, I mean, I grew up on these uh, strategic air command bases. I wanted to be a pilot. Okay. That's what I wanted to be. Awesome. Know? And, uh, but it just didn't, just didn't turn out that way. Yeah. And uh, so um, hopefully I did. But Well, last I heard, Marines don't fly anything. So I think you 
You, you may have chosen uh, Marines, a different branch. Marines fly, fly plenty of stuff. Do they? Yeah, F-18s, F-35s. That's Marines? Uh, B-22, sure. We have our own air wings. What? 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 So the Navy isn't just like the uh, the transport, as well, everyone likes to give them a hard time. <laughs> it depends who you ask. I hope my father-in-law is not listening. Fun story. He used to be a commander before he was a captain, uh-huh. I guess, in the Navy. That's how the ranks go. Um, you go from right. commander okay. to captain. A, a captain. A, the captain rank is the equivalent of a full board colonel in the Marine Corps. Okay. So, so uh, in his case, uh, and his my, my wife's maiden name is Xander. So for about 10 years, her father was Commander Xander, which is the most amazing uh, name, in my opinion, you could ever have. They were actually kind of bummed when he got promoted because they're like, Captain Xander just doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't. But I like that. I, I yeah, yeah. can't imagine it was the worst uh, pay bump either. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, the Marines fly. Okay. Well, see, I learned yeah. something new today. And we are, I will admit, the Marines are a naval service. You know, if you look at the Marine Corps emblem, it says, you know, United States Marine Corps Department of the Navy, you know, our mission has always been to seize and secure advanced naval bases so we are a naval service we're just not part of the navy i love it there's so many things i learned here this is great hoorah semper fi got a couple marines out there gonna appreciate that one one of these days i'm gonna have to pull up my bagpipes and play the marine corps hymn for you you better i will it's a a promise it's 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 a promise right on um okay so let's see childhood you wanted to be a pilot have you ever done any pilot flying i have okay what'd you fly i have i flew up actually when i was a kid in high school up in anchorage my best friend his dad, my best friend, my old best friend, Kevin Trinsky, his dad was a, uh, owned a, an outfit called Alaska Air Guides. And he had some cabins out on Lake Clark, which is one of the deep water, deepest freshwater lakes in the, in, the, in the world, I think. And it looks like a big, giant piece of turquoise when you fly over it because it's all glacier fed. So he was flying out there quite often in the summertime. I would fly out with him, you know, and, and he would let me fly the plane. I did take some lessons, you know, when I was young, but then... You know, my life got on a different a different path, you know, and I joined the service and was raising kids. And, and yeah. of course, now in retrospect, now that I'm the age I am, I wish I would I, I could go back and do it. But it's a little far out of reach at my yeah. age, I think. So, oh, come on, a little little private aircraft time, hang yeah. out, have some uh, fun. Who doesn't like a pilot with silver hair? Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and you already got the captain's uh, bars, yeah, right? Yeah. They won't know the yeah. difference. Yeah. Uh, I, I am a hang glider pilot. I fly a hang glider. And it is a ton of fun. It's also absolutely terrifying when you realize you are legitimately hanging on a kite sure. in the middle of the air. Mm-hmm. But nothing is more incredible than being 3,000 feet above the ground or higher yeah. and hearing only wind sure. going over that wind uh, wing and there's no sound of an engine. There's just nothing. And you hear the, the light creaking of the glider as you're mm-hmm. rocking back and forth and you're looking around at the world. It's truly uh, an incredible experience. Time to, time to buy an ultralight, I think. Huh? Actually, what I really want to get is they do powered hang gliding mm-hmm. and you basically have a giant fan that goes off the back of it, and you it's it's on a trike, so it looks like a uh i guess the best way to describe it would be a a fiberglass um rocket yeah. built for one or two people know, know exactly what they yeah. look like yeah. and uh, you put that fan on the back and it allows you to just take off and land at your will which i think would be pretty awesome to have yeah. um no i love it i love being in the air i love uh, also being on a boat I, uh, I can imagine how much yeah the beautiful stuff you can see from the air and you do it you have the same experience on yeah. ships too i don't think you have it so much off the hamptons but uh, yeah. in other places that i've sailed you just see some stunning things. You know, I've seen b- both ends of several rainbows. That's you know, awesome. In the, usually in the, uh, down at Trinidad, I've seen that several times. Yep. And the mountains in Trinidad are absolutely stunning. That's great. So, 
Yeah, I did. Uh, when I worked on the cruise ship, we sailed out of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and it was a ton of fun. Uh, first week on board was exclusively literally taking classes to make sure you were in compliance with Coast Guard regulations sure. and mm-hmm. doing all the safety classes and make sure we knew what we were doing. But after that, uh, as an entertainer, it was just kind of having fun, but still knowing that there was, while I had a, a cruise director who was my boss, mm-hmm. there was always the captain. Sure. And the captain told you what to do if he had to. And, you know, thankfully, right. the captain right. rarely had to get involved with entertainment related things unless it was somebody doing something that was putting the ship at a danger which i quite honestly can't think of anything right. uh, an entertainer may have done to do that but it was just fascinating to see the world of truly like who ran the ship and who made it function and i got to spend mm-hmm. a small uh, amount of time with a friend of mine who was she was the first female officer in the israeli navy uh back in the 90s mm-hmm. and she ended up becoming a uh uh, uh, first cap, uh, first mate, first mate. Yeah. Yeah. First yeah. mate on the, the, the ship I was working on. Mm-hmm. And so she got to do a lot of the, the, the driving. So when you boat. just visited in Israel, I yeah, think. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So right. I got to see her this summer, uh, yeah. when I was out yeah. in Israel and she went from that to now her and her husband run a, a music school. So, you know, some people go into captaining and others go out of it. Very right. Nice. Well, you know, I think that if you're, I guess it's like being a mathematician. You can be a good be good at so many things, but uh, if you're used to dealing with people and yeah. experience different situations and adapting, I think you become. There's it's nothing that anybody could ever put in a job description that they were yep. looking for, but I think that a lot of those types of people, like what you do and I do, makes us suitable for a lot more positions that would normally fit into our experience, just yeah. because of how we deal with other people in situations. Oh, for sure, and I quite regularly get asked why I went from being in the circus to being a police officer. And I'm like, well, I, I still do circus. I, I still just, ask that question. Yeah, about no, man, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It, it's a fun job. It's really every day is different. And mm-hmm. I get to use a lot of the skills and a lot of the reasons I wanted to be in the circus mm-hmm. uh, still in the police department. As weird as that sounds, mm-hmm. you really are helping people every day. When I was a performer, I helped people, Uh, I'll say, in a sense, forget about life for a while and laugh and have a good time. And most of what you're doing as a police officer is legitimately helping people. The amount of seconds you spend actually dealing with an arrest uh, in the moments it happens. You know, if a TV show was real, uh, uh, sorry, let me me put it better. If a police TV show actually had an accurate description of what the average cop today was like, and it was a 30 minute long TV show, around 20 plus minutes of that show would be you driving around, you know, waiting for something to happen, so to speak, because that's ultimately what happens. You may be nearby, you may have to drive to it. Um, Beyond that though, it really is, a lot of paperwork and even the arrest itself will take usually mere seconds and most people aren't fighting with you. They realize by the time the police have shown up and they're still there in a situation that's not good. If they're getting arrested, there's not fighting is not going to help. You know, they will go, okay, I messed up. You know, there's, this is how we do this next. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, it's just one of those things that happens. So that, that it's it's very similar to what you know captains and pilots go through too. That the job is very mundane if, yep. when everything's going right. Yeah, uh, and that very rarely, but occasionally, it can be terrifying because there's some sort of crisis or there could be a fire or something like that. Essentially, you know, I'm just you. I look at running a ship. You know, very very rarely do do the actual captains actually do the navigation of the vessel or steering the vessel. You're managing a business unit. Sure. You know, you're being a rabbi, chief cook, bottle washer, priest, life coach, um, grocery orderer. Um, You're managing a budget. Um, You're making sure that other people in their departments, like the engineering department, you know, all your maintenance is online. It's basically just running a business, you know, and, and, uh, and trying to keep 14 souls 
you know, you know, working happy and working, working in harmony, yeah. you know, all the time. So. No, I, I, I will often describe my job uh, as a police officer as being an adult recess monitor with a gun and a badge. You know, kids on the playground, they get mad at their friends and they punch them or they push them over. What happens? Uh, somebody blows a whistle and then they say, hey, you two come here and they find out what the story is and you go to the principal's office, right? And you sit in the principal's office and the principal talks to you. You did this. This is not right. good. Right. And then maybe you're old enough. They put you in detention and then all is good. We call your parents and we tell mom and dad this is why he did this okay well when you're an adult and you decide to push somebody that you don't know or do know the police show up and then what happens right, we have right. to take we blow that whistle or we don't we just say hey time to stop ideally you get it and uh, what what then happens we find out this is actually a law that has been broken so now somebody is going in handcuffs somebody says i'm willing to sign complaints legal documents stating that this person broke the law uh, towards me in a sense they stole something from me they hit me they did whatever uh, and now it's up to me to say all right unfortunately this this is what's going on uh, you know hands behind your back sort of a scenario mm -hmm. hands go in handcuffs and uh, we can be as as i mentioned earlier we can be as polite and friendly as necessary because all i'm doing is getting you to the next step which is me finishing paperwork bringing you to getting fingerprinted and photographed and if it's not too serious of an offense you go on your way and you show up to a judge who is just like right. that principal who right. then says, this is what's going to happen or not. Yeah. And detention is ideally uh, been taken care of and it doesn't require you to go to jail, 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 which happens right. uh, some of the time. Yep. But uh, it's it's a fascinating. You uh, hope that's enough for most for almost all the situations. Yeah, and ideally. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, nothing too serious. And, you know, the more serious ones obviously require more serious means to mm -hmm. be to be dealt with. But uh, but yeah, it's it's very much managing how people interact with each other mm -hmm. and whether they realize it or not, that's kind of what you're doing. So, right. yeah. And, uh, how does that, how does that go from, uh, being a captain on the ship to, uh, to, to going back to regular life? Like when you come home, is there any kind of adjustment period or is there just like, so glad to be home, see my friends, be with my peeps. Hey, join I, me for I, a beverage. I, I am now, um, since I've been doing it so long and it's getting harder and harder for me to leave. Um, uh, that I am so happy to get home. What I'm also so happy when I'm on the ship is that people like you, you know, you guys all check in with me while I'm on the, while I'm on the boat, and which is the it's the connection that that keeps my spirits up to me because I, I miss everybody. You know? Yeah. So just to give a little bit of background, uh, Captain and I met each other at the local watering hole, which uh -huh. I used to be a bartender at. Uh -huh. And it's a great neighborhood pub where it's, uh, it's what I like to say is it's my cheers. When you walk in the door, everybody knows who you are. And if you walk in and you don't recognize somebody, it's a rare day or it's like a busy Friday and it's weird and you go, wait a minute, this can't be. Right, um, right. You know, but the rest of the time you walk in and it takes you uh, 10 minutes to actually grab your seat because you're walking up and down the bar to say hi to all your Back friends. Back slapping and hugging. And, yeah. and giving the ladies pecks on the cheek and uh, everybody you've missed so and everybody's happy to see you so. well and it's a neighborhood living room i mean that's what i like about it so a it is great when you do come it, back yeah. uh you know you come back and it's like hey i'm in town it's like being invited yeah. uh you know hey i'm gonna be at the bar yeah. so what do we do we go over to the gnl and we grab a beverage and it's uh it's just catching up in uh, in a living room that isn't somebody's house as, it, the way I think as it. it should be yeah. but but you know, outside of that, you know, it's just I'm so happy to be back on land and around everybody I care about and everybody whose company I enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it's you know, um, I'm the same person on a ship as I am off the ship. Not everybody is, unfortunately. But I don't want to talk about you know the dark aspects sure, of yeah. some captains' personalities. But I'm just saying, if the best people that work on ships and certainly the best officers or best leaders, they're the same exact person on the boat as they are off the boat. They would never say any. 
I would never say anything to anybody on a ship, certainly in the, the role of my job. Yeah. Uh, that I wouldn't say on the sidewalk in front of my house. Yep. You know, there's no difference. Not everybody's that way, but that's the way I, I'm never going to change that way. That's what works for me. So I think we have similar, similar yeah. mindsets. Yeah. Be kind and professional at every turn that you can, which is 99.9999999% of the time. Yeah. You know? No, and I like to tell people my life is truly an open book. Like there's no stories I'm not willing to share with people. There's nothing I don't want to talk about i mean when it comes to to being on the internet things like that it gets tough because there are people who just straight up you know in, in the case of being a police officer they don't like the police right uh, i mean i i get that i understand that but what they also need to realize is i'm a human being who had a 40-year life ahead of uh, but prior to that mm-hmm. and that none of that left me all of my friends all of my experiences in life all of my traveling in the world came along with me um, all right so let's see so we're a captain now so when you when you really grow up what are you going to be Ah, boy, I'm just going to be retired and I think I'm going to fly fish. And, uh, you know, I don't know yet. I guess it's kind of scary to think about, you know, what am I going to do? You know, it'd be nice to find uh, where I could work with people. I do enjoy working with people. I always think to myself that it'll be hard to do because I don't have a resume that... That fits in anybody's job description, but you know, I yeah, but I, like I mean, you like said, a, you got business management. I mean, you've got plenty going on there that, you know, uh, that's I, transferable. I, I, I think I'd like to be like a, a victim's advocate. I think uh, would be seems like an interesting job that I think I've got the right heart for. Yeah, um, and it would be interesting to me. You know, I could also sometimes I wish I could be like a a, a private investigator. You know. And what I think would be interesting, I think I naturally have a nose for that stuff. Haven't thought about it. You know? For sure. Hope I hope I make it there and I get to enjoy some I certainly hope you make it there, too. <laughs> I plan on hanging out you with yeah. it while you're doing it. Yeah. All right. So uh, in your free time when you're home, what's uh, what's the usual day like? Well, I got uh, my ladies' projects, of course. All right. We've always got a list of stuff going on. Um, you know, we keep each other busy with, you know, house remodeling projects and building shelves. And we got a lovely place in Lake Geneva we like to visit up there. And that's carrying in firewood or just enjoying uh, being with family, playing a lot of cards, rolling a lot of dice, uh, tipping a few here and there. Yeah. Um, but the most of the days are very unplanned. We always keep a to-do list, yep. which I never finish. Yeah. Um, but uh, And it always grows when I'm gone. Um, but... Uh, Essentially, I spend every day saying nice things and and doing nice things uh, uh, for my for my lady. So I love it, and that's how we should do it. I mean, I I'm pretty sure Louise does the same things for you. So uh, I do have some hobbies besides doing housework and nice things. I hope so. And and I uh, uh, I've I've always said that I'm an expert at trying to become an expert, and uh, but I am an expert at failing miserably at trying to become an expert at all of my hobbies. So. Try to play a lot of ukulele, guitar, and sometimes more enthusiastic than others. But something I've I've taken on recently was uh, um, trying to learn something about drone cinematography. And this started as a joke in our backyard about I got tired of going up through the roof on top of the roof to look at the gutter to see why it wasn't draining. Said, oh, I'm so just, you literally decided it would be a good idea to have a drone for so for that I purpose? Gonna, I was just going to buy a drone, so I bought like a, the forty nine dollar one off of the 
the big website, and of course, it just promptly flew off into the neighbors <laughs> into a gutter that you never got it. back. So, a buddy of mine literally lost, uh, I think, a nine hundred dollar drone in the river when he was looking at the video and not where the drone was, and crashed it right into a bridge, and then it just dropped straight to the ground. I have sacrificed more than one drone, uh, and, rough. and up in Lake Geneva, and flew it right into a tree because I was doing a flight path based upon a satellite picture that was a couple years old. Oh, lovely! And the trees have grown. Up. Turns out that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I bought the insurance, so I had a new one in a couple of days. Excellent. But, is, but anyway, so I've been. Um, I'm probably the. Uh, I'm really interested in the Jones in the in the drone cinematography and learning to do it and and learning that aspect. And then the next stage for me will be to learn how to edit. Sure. Uh, um, you know, get in the software and edit those clips. And then I think I may do try to earn an FAA. I was um, just going to say, if you get that FAA license when you're uh, do this in your retirement. But yeah, if you're doing commercial photography, you do that. People do it with sailboats and houses. It's a, we actually we got a call the other day that somebody was flying a drone and it turned out it was a guy doing it for real estate purposes. And that does, if people aren't aware, require an FAA license. It sure does. Yeah. And, and I mean, I could... I could walk up my whole street and get and and say, "Hey, you want to see your roof?" And yeah. everybody's interested to see their roof. And Absolutely, I've done it for the neighbors. But it's always, you know, I'm an amateur, sure, or what they consider to be a hobbyist. Yeah. But, so I think I might do that, and then maybe try to get some commercial work, doing real estate or doing appraisals, uh, surveys on cell phone towers or buildings. You know, what is kind of a reasonable amount? Well, I mean, you know, knowing that there's always the starter drone that gets you hooked. Like, what does one have to spend for? Uh, and not assuming a, a thirty thousand dollar fanciest of fancy, but like, what's a what's an appropriate amount of money to spend for like where the quality and the the money meet at the right spot? You know, for me, it was about. Fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, um, and but I I did buy the first one, a very high quality drone, which I quickly dismembered up <laughs> oh, in God. <laughs> Geneva. <laughs> uh, but um, but I know that you can buy good drones that uh, that fly well, that are stabilized, that are GPS to. Uh, um, for much less than that, you know, yeah. you can probably buy them starting in a three or four hundred dollar range. You get what you pay for. Of course, no. Know? Just today, I was looking on Facebook, or something popped up as an ad on Instagram. I don't remember what it was, and it was this rinky-dink little hundred dollar drone that has this stunning camera. Of course, and I'm like, no, this will last for seven minutes. It'll not be to... impossible to fly. <laughs> yeah, and they say, oh no, it has the magic homing device. It comes back to you and. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, always says. <laughs> I think that's that's one I need to have friends like you and my buddy Rob who fly drones and just play with yours. Like I'll have the other toys like we can the time you came on my boat, actually, uh, and you took some pictures of it just for fun. That was and I uh, was nervous. I was yeah. worried about plopping. Uh, water, understandable. You know? Look, we need to get you a float or something for that thing. They make them. Oh, nice. Yeah, that makes they sense. They should. But anyway, one of the, the funny, when I first got it, I went out to Virginia to my sister's place. They got 27 acres on the eastern shore wide open out over the bay and i did my first you know my first shots and even though it's unedited i was i was really self-impressed yeah with how good the quality of the video was of the pictures and how i started to think about composing shots how i started to think about where to put the sun or how to deal with the sun in certain positions and sure. which filters to use and and i know nothing even at this point, I know nothing, but it's uh you know I'm intrigued by it and I enjoy doing it. And I enjoy I enjoy seeing the 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 unedited but finished product that yeah. I've done. So it's very satisfying. So. I I feel like it's very similar to how I got into the desire to do the podcast. I 
realized I had this creative outlet I wanted to fulfill. And while I'd performed my whole life, it was just, hey, what's something else I can do that allows me to do it in my own time as opposed to needing sure. a stage yeah. and needing a rehearsal and needing, you know what? I can do this live with you. I can do it. A buddy of mine who was in LA who I recently interviewed, we did it through the computer and we had cell phones set up so we could look at each other because uh, we were recording through an application that didn't have video and it gave a much higher quality audio, but I still right. wanted to be able to have that face to face. And so right. learning those things that were so much fun and whether it turns into something super high quality or just something, it's ultimately just spending the time to learn it and do it. And I think that's the most right. important part for your brain, just getting your brain doing something totally new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't wait to play with it. Well, I'll come over and I'll take some pictures of the the, the menagerie back there, you know. Fantastic. I'll see how they feel about the dogs. Yeah. Usually, like even I don't know about goats, but dogs don't tend not to like them. You know, I could it's, imagine there was a video uh, I saw that was one flying past a rhino, and you could see this rhino, like rhinoceros, giving it this dead yeah. stare. And I'm like, I, I, I would imagine rhinos aren't used yeah. to seeing something like that. You get it up to, you know, 50 meters or so, and you really can't hear it that sure. much. But when it's, you know, when it's five meters off the ground, it's 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 fairly the sound is fairly significant no they so, are cool um and your dogs they don't uh, they don't freak out with them or your dog i should say he, louise's dog doesn't like your dog or Louise's dog hers okay ours uh, sure so fair so enough fair um, enough she pays a veterinary bill. oh then it's her dog i feed him and give him his scratches scratches so it's a it's a committee effort on the awesome duty, so and it depends who we think he can pimp for a scooby snack too, naturally you know Oh yeah, Emily and I regularly realize. Uh, did you give the the little like our rats we have inside pet rats, not you know, weird random rats? Um, our pet rats, and I'll say, did you give him? Oh yeah, I already gave him a bunch of Cheerios, and I'm like, oh, I just gave him a bunch of Cheerios. Which, if you haven't seen a rat holding a Cheerio in its hand, like it's eating a giant donut the size of a steering wheel relative to its body, <laughs> it's the cutest thing ever. So well, I'll have to throw that video. We on have this funny days. line I always tell Louise. It's like. I already fed him and let him out, so don't fall for his bullshit. Yeah, no. nice. I think Emily has the same with uh, me, actually, yeah. and the neighbors. And how about the dogs? The dogs are fantastic. It being, a, It's funny, as you know, because of my schedule, I tend to be the designated dog watcher in our social group. So they'll plan their vacations when they know I'm home for three weeks. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so... So all of a sudden, you know, we're going to, you know, Jamaica for a week. Can you take, you know, we're going to have to board our, our, you know, like Sully is another Labrador I, I, I watch quite often. And like, you're not going to board him. Bring him on over. Yeah. So me and Louise have a big giant Labrador named Bogey. He's a big galoot, still thinks he's a puppy. And he gets along with every dog we bring over. That's awesome. And and we enjoy that too. So. We're still trying to socialize the goats. They they do a little more headbutting than uh, is necessary for most people. But. I've been headbutted. I stop by to see him occasionally when you guys are <laughs> when you guys are gone. And I've been I'm glad to hear that. I don't stand in front of the water trough with my back to them. No, I that's that. I think it's only small children who get knocked in there. I'll have to I'll have to include a link to that video one of these fine days. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, all right. Any plans for the near future? Any any vacations? I think I'm going to head down to Tampa. Okay. And uh, for four or five days at 85 degree weather at my uh, sister's place by her swimming pool. Excellent. Hope I don't get stuck down there if they stop, you know, stop all the flights. But so far yeah. it's looking good. I think I'm going to do that. And then you know I go back to work in a couple of weeks. Okay. 
uh, which will be this time down in Florida, fortunately. So oh, nice. we'll get a little more warm weather. And same job when you're in Florida? I mean, it's the, a very beach similar, dredging similar job. It's actually, it's off, uh, not too far from Mar-a-Lago. Okay. Uh, in, uh, what is that, West uh, West Palm. All right. West Palm. Um, some beach renourishment job down gotcha. there. Gotcha. So. I want to say when you're close to West Palm, there's a natural, well, I, I can't call it natural, but it is considered, so to speak, a natural elevation. And it's the highest point in Florida. And it's actually a backfilled uh, it's a landfill, and it's essentially a giant garbage dump that they ultimately threw a bunch of dirt on top of, oh, and man, grasses meth- have methane, grown. Made a methane factory. But uh, yeah, I don't know what it actually is, but it's literally just a a pile of, uh, uh, you know, they said, okay, well, th- it's Florida. I mean, we can only put it so far. Right, and right. Uh, so it, it's this beautiful mountain in yeah. Florida, a very flat Florida's state. promontory. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's it's a pile of uh, it's a pile of garbage. So yeah. but, nice uh, thing is about working down there when we get down to West Palm is that my daughters live in the uh, a Boca area, so I'll oh, be able nice. to fly in early a couple of days and see them and uh, take them to dinner. Okay, you know, yeah, and then see them when I come off. Which How many kids? Two, two daughters. Two okay, daughters, uh, twenty six and uh, twenty one. Youngins, and uh, so they're they're doing good. You know, once graduated uh, college a couple of years ago, and and uh, my little one is working her way through college. She also works full time a couple of jobs. So nice. She likes to find her things, so she does it all. Hey, man, you, you got to be able to afford it somehow, right? Yeah. Very cool. And then, uh, so we were talking about life in the military. We were talking about, you know, briefly your childhood. We we're talking about life on the ships, uh, and we're talking about life now. What What is kind of something that you feel like you really has been a theme through your your life? Like anything that you feel like you've realized or recognized that just is, and maybe that's a deep question and. And one that takes a moment to think about is fine. We can uh, have to time. Do, have to do have to do with this in a couple of parts. Yeah, um, because there are things that I that I recognize that I'm experiences that are recurring that I feel very fortunate about. And one is my whole life, no matter where I've been out in the world, or even here or the parts of the world, I've, I've always spontaneously met really kind, interesting people, you know, and you get invited to their homes and you become lifelong friends in many instances. And I'm just fortunate. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how I've managed to, to, to for that to keep reoccurring, but that's one of the neatest things that's ever happened. Um, as far as an overall view of life, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could come up with one. You know? Oh, I'm not looking for a catchphrase. Yeah, it's yeah. more, I mean, like what you just mentioned is, is but, but that, so great. That period of time where I had to let go of the idealism, idealism of my youth yeah. and be realistic. That was a, you know, that was a tough time. I left, clum, I left uh, claw marks on that idealism. You know, for sure. About things being fair. And I still don't, uh, I, I still don't accept that things can't be fair. Agreed. Almost all the time. And I'm, it's a shame that when they're not for some people. Yeah. You know? No, that is tough. I've been referring to what you were kind of saying about attracting people. Uh, I've been going through this meditation practice that a friend of mine has been leading me through. It's actually been on kind of online almost. And every day he'll send something for us to to go through. And it's a Deepak Chopra thing. And I've never really gotten much into that. And I've, I, as much as I've tried to meditate throughout my life, I really haven't. But one of the things he talks about is what he calls the law of abundance mm-hmm. and how if you put something out there, you will get it back. Right. And I think you're attracting the exact people that y- that are basically, you know, not to say they're you, but it's the same energy that you mm-hmm. put out there. And I don't think it's uh, it's necessarily that those are the only ones you find. It's like those are the ones you actually 
find a connection with mm-hmm. and therefore continue to move with. And I think that's why, uh, you know, you and I are, uh, have become friends because it's just yeah. that, that yeah. wonderful and, and energy. I'm sure that, it's like negative people. Boom. Yeah. People gossip. Boom. You're gone. Yeah. No. Oh. And it's tough. You see it and it's, uh, it, it gets exhausting. I mean, to be around somebody who's negative all the time and I feel bad when I'm driving it's, in. It's unhealthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, when I'm in traffic unrelated to being at work, I, I get like so frustrated with the way people drive because I feel that they're being selfish or even just clueless. And it, I think, really stemmed from when I used to ride a bike a lot because you realize that I'm on a bicycle that weighs 20 pounds, 25 pounds, and there's nothing protecting me here except me and your awareness. And if you're not aware of me, it could kill me. And people don't realize that. And they also think any amount of space I'm giving a bike is enough. And especially in Chicago, it's an afterthought to give a bicycle space. People look at you like you're a scourge on the road. It's like, how dare you take up space? And so that I think is what really caused me to have this frustration on the road. And I'll say the nice thing is, is when actually when I'm at work, I can legitimately, you know, pull somebody over and explain to them, look, this is why you've been pulled over. And I'm not mad at them. I, I try and give them the very calm, you know, Hey, my name's officer Robin. This is the reason I pulled you over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to chastise them. It's to remind them. And it really is remind you that, Hey, look, laws exist for a reason. Um, you know, and, and people, can be safe if we all follow them and i know it seems like no big deal to just kind of roll through that stop sign throughout your neighborhood you, which you we see you don't give them that talk about the fabric of society and if we no longer stop for stop signs the world will just fall apart no that's what i think but <laughs> i uh, i do need to, to go with it. and but i do I, I agree it's like it's just not that hard to to follow those simple things it takes an extra half second to stop and we see it in front of the uh the the pub all the time man you're at the bar and you stand outside and what do you see you see people who if they even pretend to stop uh Stop. It's yeah. They don't even pretend. There's they just kids on the corners yep. and they're just rolling through the stuff. Yeah, so. and it's uh, it's one of those things that I just think it's so easy to follow those simple little rules, and they're there for laws, rules, whatever you want to call them. They're there for a reason. It's to keep people mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. It's not arbitrary. It's not just let's just do this for fun. You, you mentioned something. You used a word, and and then you sort of asked me about things that have guided me along in my life, and you were used the word aware. And, mm-hmm. And but I didn't want to. I wanted to make sure that I commented because I remembered one of the things I wanted to say was that I've learned to almost always try to be aware of everywhere I'm at and what's going on everywhere yeah. I'm at. And if it's too much, you know, you just you get someplace where you can you can manage uh, everything. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I teach this to my 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 daughters too. It says always be aware of the your surroundings. Always be aware of what's going on around you, whether you're at a an event or something like. That. Just be aware of what's going on around you. Don't be clueless. You know, and, and yeah, you know. Be conscious of what's going on around. Oh, for sure. Uh, You know, from a safety standpoint, that's hugely important. And I think one of the things that is beyond frustrating right now is to see how much, and I'm certainly probably guilty of it too when I'm standing on the street. You look down at your phone and then you start to text, continue to text, continue to read whatever you're doing and people walk into the road. And ideally, they're walking through a cross rock in the correct direction where somebody's actually paying attention, Mm -hmm. but not always. And it's terrifying. I mean, the amount of accidents that occur certainly now in driving just because of that. So it's, it's a simple thing. Be aware, just pay attention. Right. Right. Yeah. No. And hopefully, uh, you know, I feel like as weird as this whole thing, this is being recorded in the, uh, I guess what day three of kind of the, the lockdown, so to speak, the quarantine, dun, 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 coronavirus and not something I want to make light of, but it is really, I think going to affect the way we all 
I thought a lot about that today. I thought about, you know, I don't want it to destroy, you know, the way we socialize. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's, you know, we've seen our economy tank in 10 days. Yep. That's big concern. But I, I'm a social person. And yep. so not being, not being able to have the places and see the people I enjoy to socialize. Um, yeah. Does have an effect. We've had to uh, we've had to find other things to do. Yep. You know, what we do a lot of too is that we worry about our friends that work in the service industry, and um, we've got lots of close friends that work in food service, that work in the in the bar industry, and we're all concerned. This is yep. this is new ground. We don't know. Uh, you know, they're all proud people. Not a lot of people are going to ask for help. We want to be there for them. So we're all concerned yep. with them. And, and even the people that own the businesses. Oh, yeah. You know, in many instances, and you're in my case, those people that own a lot of the business that you and I patronize, we know those people. And they're yep. good friends of oh, ours. And they're outstanding friends, yeah. people. John and Kate are outstanding yeah. individuals, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. And, uh, you know, theater people as well. I'm on the board of directors of a nonprofit that mm-hmm. we made the decision two, three days before the the city uh, kind of shut everything down. Thaw, I think, right? Uh, Thaw, well, Thaw is the fundraiser we were going right, to do, right. but uh, yeah, Lynx Hall is the the arts organization. Right. And we made the decision to, to postpone shows for about five, six weeks. And that on its own, you realize, look, there's artists who've been working for months mm-hmm. and spending money to create things. One of the, the biggest was a show that had opened the day kind of all this happened and they got one performance in in front of the public mm-hmm. and that was it. And they had a three-week run ahead of them. And so, yeah, you've got artists. I mean, you've also got a lot of small businesses where, you know, even barbers, things like that, nail primarily, salons, places that are going to be shutting small down. businesses, yep. I think, you know. Yeah, no, this is going to be crazy. And I, I'm hoping... The one thing I'm hoping about this whole thing is it kind of gets us all to reevaluate what our priorities in life are and what's important to us and look at, hey, is it my friends? Is it my family? Is it what I've got going on around my house? Who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that could be the best thing we could all do is Mm -hmm. to really realize, hey, look, this is what I need to do and not just kind of disappear into a hole for a few weeks and yeah, find new ways to let the sunshine i agree yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm struggling with that a little bit but yeah you know this uh i'll be all right i'm glad <laughs> well always here if you need me that's for I sure i got good people around me well so. and one of the reasons i'm so excited to be releasing said podcast right now is that people have a lot of time to, on their hands right now so oh, hey sure. having something to listen to you know hearing about a uh, a sea captain doing his thing that's mm-hmm. something we don't all really know about and as much as i've spent time talking to you i've never really gotten to talk to you about that you know and Probably because you're like, I'm no longer at work. I don't need to talk about this. Unfortunately, I can't tell all my sea captain jokes. No, (laughs) yar. What's my favorite one? A pirate walks into a bar with a steering wheel around his waist, and the bartender says, what's that for? And he says, I don't know, but it's driving me nuts. Oh, classics. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Awesome. All right. All right, we're going to change the the energy here entirely and just go for some fun, silly questions. Uh, what was one of your favorite foods when you were growing up? Favorite meals, favorite foods. I love hearing about this. Oh, tuna fish sandwiches. Still tuna making them the same way today. One can of tuna, one can of mayonnaise. A can of mayonnaise and a can of tuna. Holy cow. Yeah. And what else? Anything else in there? Mustard, ketchup, any secrets? Uh, ketchup on macaroni and cheese and scrambled eggs. Ketchup? Okay. So, so that was, man, my cousin used to eat ketchup on everything. And it was just like one of those. I, you know, It was like a French fries and burgers sort yeah, of a thing yeah. for me. Um, all right. What about beverages? What's your, what's, what's your jam? Oh... Well, I watch my sugar, so I try to do a lot of water at home too. But I, right. can, I can roll into a soda once in a while, and if okay. I'm out 
have an adult bevies, it would have to be a CH and soda. Okay. Or uh, or a high life. All right. Know, being healthier. The I'm high life, the champagne of beers. Champagne of beers. I like man. it. I like it. Uh, uh, good stuff. Okay. Are you... Uh, always good milk, by the way. Always milk. Ice cold milk, whether it's hot or cold outside. All right. Percent? Oh, uh, I do 2%. Come on. Whole milk. Just accept it. I know. I'll drink goat's milk, too. I drink goat's milk a lot as a kid. Uh, unfortunately, my goats do not produce milk as they're both boys. Something I love doing that not necessarily everybody does, but uh, are you a fan of karaoke? I am a big fan of karaoke. Okay. What's Captain Jerry's favorite karaoke tune? You know what? Or are there multiples? Well, there's multiples. I probably, just because of my voice range, I tend to more like to sing like Sinatra. Sure. Stuff. Also, there's a couple Willie Nelson cuts that All I right. like to... Me and Paul is one of my favorite songs, but you'll never see that at karaoke. Nobody knows that song. Yeah, um, but I like this. I, I, I'm a real crooner. You ask Louise. I, I kind of do a lot of crooning. Oh, he the house, sings so. to his lady. That's I do. nice. I do. That's super exciting. All right, and then uh, when Captain Jerry's on the ship or at home, what's in the uh, playlist? Um, lately, what I, I I have very eclectic taste in music, so I do listen to everything. But I tend to listen to a lot of outlaw country, uh, Americana. Yes, type of music. It's just it's just what's hitting me right now and i yeah. like the fact that it's very eclectic you know range of music um and been turned on to a lot of you know a lot of new artists that you wouldn't hear on a normal country music radio station but i listened to all rock and yeah and jazz and you know, i had, was fortunate i had an older sister who had very very eclectic taste in music when i was young so she was turning me on to you know i was 13 14 she was turning me on to george benson and al Jarreau and Dixie Dregs and Budgie, but also, um, you know, mainstream rock and roll, uh, yep. uh, uh, Steely Dan and Hart and Led Zeppelin, and and that's where I get it from from her, from my sister Marilee. Nice, nice. You're uh, you you mentioned Outlaw Country. Did you happen to see a movie? I think it was last year, or the year before, called Blaze, but but a guy named Blaze Foley. I know Blaze Foley. Oh. Yeah. Love if yeah. you if you if you haven't heard Blaze Foley before, folks, do yourself a favor and listen to some it's Blaze on, Foley. Uh, Lucinda Williams did a song called "Drunken Angel," which is about Blaze Foley. It's oh, a nice. beautiful song. Yeah. Also, go see the movie. It's it's really delightful. And then another guy I really like who I don't know if he's even necessarily considered uh, outlaw per se, but uh, do you know Jamie Johnson? I know Jamie Johnson. Oh, yeah. big fan yeah. of Jamie Johnson. No, and it's uh, just it's the uh, stuff you just don't hear on the radio, which I is so frustrating. Cost of living is nothing like the cost of living high. Yeah, that was the first song I heard from him. It was yeah, a really, really poignant song. Yeah, yeah. he's he's phenomenal. Now mowing down the roses. Oh, you know, he's got wow. some. That's, that's a great song. So good. Um, and then another one I actually learned about this year, this past year, I guess. Well, maybe it might even be a year ago now. Uh, Margot Price. Have you heard about sure, her? Sure, I know Margot Price. Yeah, it's but well, again, one of these people you just don't hear on the radio. That's She's, why I love uh, you know listening to Outlaw Country. Yeah. Um, Ray Wiley Hubbard, some fella you got to listen to. Is okay. really, I got to check this out. Very cool. Yeah. They never let us play it in the GNL. Oh, no. When, uh, oh. Trust me, when I was bartending on Monday nights, all I did was country and western. It was uh, People would come in and try and request something, and I was like, does it fall into country and western? Right, right. No. Like, truly the line from the Blues Brothers, we got two kinds of music here, country, country and, and western. western. <laughs> yeah, that was basically it. Somebody wanted to play some, I don't know what it is, and it's something I would listen to in my normal everyday life, but it just wasn't the mood I was going for yeah, yeah. ever. This is a Monday night. It's a neighborhood bar. This is the mood I expect to I have. got to get a shout out in, and then you realize the contrast, but I could I always have to sing some George Michael songs. Too, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. No, for me, it's a lot, a lot of Neil Diamond and uh, Barry Manilow 
type stuff. Uh, and then I, I can uh, do some serious damage to the B-52s as well. Oh, right Which on. my, the lovely Emily isn't a huge fan of, but uh, it's, I got to do it. I just got to do it. Yeah, girl honor. Yeah. And then uh, when you're getting around this city, are you a, a car, a bike, or a public transportation kind of a guy? I'll do public transportation in the airport. Okay. Um, and uh, which is just makes it very, very convenient. But mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I very, unless we go to Lake Geneva, um, I don't leave the zip code all the time yeah. alone. So my car will go between this neighborhood and Roscoe Village. Yeah. Or some Which, for those who don't know, uh, we're in North Center. Roscoe Village is basically across a major street. That's it. So you could be talking a quarter to a half mile at best. So my, you know, my car goes seven tenths of a mile each direction. You know, nice. in the summertime we walk, and that's yeah. of course the reason why we live here is. We like to walk to the ballpark, you know, because yep. we're walking distance. Yeah, a mile Field. and a half. It's quicker yeah. than traffic yeah. most days. Yeah. yeah, Wrigley Field is a mile and a half away from mm-hmm. here. So, uh, yeah, and then you, you got the bar on the corner, which, uh, again, it's a for me, it's a, a whole two blocks. Yeah. Um, and there's one that's even closer, but I just, I, I particularly, you know, I was working at that one uh, in the past and uh, and still enjoy it. Yeah. It's my home. Only one way back to the barn, that's right? That's true, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, a, a very fun spot. Captain captain jerry jerry hi sir mr hoff (laughs) (laughs) mr hoff captain no it's just captain that's it captain uh i have to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me i i really just i love hearing about it i love spending time with you and getting to spend an hour here and uh, hearing about life is delightful well thank you brother you're welcome my pleasure and i can't wait to hopefully get a chance to do this again for absolutely and when we finally uh have some restaurants open we need to hit one of those and and go there's a bunch of raw oysters out there waiting for us excellent bring them back with you fly them in the suitcase right Mm -hmm. Thanks, brother. My pleasure. Have a great day. That was my friend, Captain Jerry Hoff. United States Marine, thank you for your service, sir. Captain of a commercial dredging ship, philosopher, lover, dog walker, wonderful man, eats way too much mayonnaise, but I still love him. Make sure to subscribe, and if you have a moment, leave a review. Thanks. Join me next time for another interesting conversation on What Can You Tell Me?